Ephesians chapter number four, if you're there, say amen. 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 The Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for the song service. We thank you, Lord, that they're, 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 we don't have to walk away. Lord, we have no reason to walk away. We have no right to walk away. Lord, we're capable of it, God, and we can do it. But Lord, help us strive and desire not to. Help us, Lord, to walk hand in hand and step in step with you this morning and every day of our life. We thank you, Lord, when the storms come, when the trials come. God, we thank you, Lord, there is an anchor. There is a steady ship in the midst of that stormy sea. We thank you tonight or this morning, Lord, that we can hold on to you. But, Lord, greater than us holding on to you is you holding on to us. We thank you, Lord, for eternal life. Thank you for salvation. God, thank you for coming this morning to a place called earth and carrying a cross up a hill and dying outside of Jerusalem. Lord, paying for every man's sin debt. But thank you for an empty tomb or where the resurrection took place, where death was conquered, hell was defeated, God, victory was gained. We ask you, Lord, this morning that you speak to our hearts. God, take your word and God, only do what you can, or do only what you can do with it this morning. We know our limitations, God, we know our shortcomings. God, help us to walk out of here this morning amazed in the presence of God, at the power of God, the promises of God. We ask you, Lord, this morning that you just hide me behind the cross of Calvary. And God, would you get me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with your spirit. And God, would you make preaching what you designed and desire it to be this morning. And God, speak to each and every individual heart. I can't do that, Lord, but you sure can. God, convict where it's needed. Challenge where it's needed. Comfort where it's needed. Change where it's needed. God, do a personal work. God, in the hearts of every person that's in here this morning. Be with those in the nursery. I'll be with those in children's church this morning. God, thank you for an opportunity to serve you and to live for you today. Thank you for our church. Thank you for Calvary. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And right here in these few verses right here, Paul is about to drop truth. Uh, not just on them, but on us this morning. But I want you to notice this morning, Paul, in essence, is going to ask us this question this morning under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost through the writing of the Word of God. And we're going to have to ask ourselves and ask the Lord this question this morning. Am I walking worthy? Am I walking worthy? Right there in verse number one, it says, I therefore who Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And we see here this morning, Paul is asking us, are we walking worthy? But in order to get the clear understanding and a greater picture of it this morning, we've got to realize the position on which Paul is asking this question, or he's, he's making this statement that we walk worthy. His desire is not just for him, but for the church at Ephesus and all of us this morning to walk worthy for the glory of God this morning. And we have to realize this morning, the position from which Paul poses this to the church at Ephesus and to us as well is not from one who is sitting on high 
and looking down low. Not as one who has attained and understands and says, get like me, be like me, get on my level and until, until you do so, you're not doing it right. No, Paul doesn't say, I beseech thee. I therefore, the pontiff of the Lord or the, 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 the promoted of the Lord, he says, the prisoner of the Lord. Paul puts himself in a very, very low position. He's not building himself up. He's not uh, uh, pride and arrogance isn't beaming out of him. He says, I'm nothing more than a prisoner of the Lord. But can I say this morning, Paul sure was a happy prisoner of the Lord. He didn't have no problems with it. He didn't have no issues with it. He was a glad prisoner of the Lord. You look at that word prisoner. How could Paul be a glad prisoner of the Lord? I don't know about you, but I, I, if I never see the inside of a prison, I'll be okay with that. I've never had the experience that. I'll be a-okay with I don't know that I could be a glad prisoner of, uh, of life and in, in this life, but I'm glad this morning when you realize and you break it down, you and I can be glad prisoners of the Lord. We see here this morning, you break that word prisoner down, you'll find out it means one who is bound. One who is bound, you say, preach, no, the Christian life is about breaking chains. It's about being free. It's about being, uh, uh, leaving captivity into freedom. And it is this one, but truth of the matter is, I left the bondage of sin. I left the bondage of pain and loss and suffering in this world and all that it had to, I left all of that bondage behind, but I found out I'm bound in something else this morning. I'm bound in the love of God this morning. Paul wrote it this way, what shall, what, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I'm glad this morning I'm a glad prisoner of the Lord because I'm bound by his love. That word prisoner means captive. Not only was Paul bound in the love of God but Paul was held captive by grace. He was held captive by grace Romans 6, 14, Paul put it this way. He said, for sin shall I have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Aren't you glad this morning to be held captive by grace? I'm glad this morning, yes, sin used to run my life. Sin ruined my life. Sin messed me up. Sin held me down. It was a taskmaster. It was a schoolmate. It beat me down. Left me for dead, but thanks be to God, April 3rd, 2015, I left under the bondage and the, the, the captivity of sin was brought under the captivity of grace. And can I say, it's a whole lot better under grace than it was the law. A whole lot better under grace than it was sin this morning. And so Paul says, I'm a prisoner. And this is what Paul was trying to get across to them is that I am in the, in, in the trenches with you. I I am one of you. I'm not above you. I'm not better than you. I don't have it all figured out this morning. Can I encourage you this morning as your pastor and as the preacher this morning, I'm not talking down to you. I don't have it all figured out this morning. I'm not here to be mean or rude this morning. I'm just one who's walking this life with you. I'm just trying to serve God with you this morning. But we have to ask ourselves, are we walking worthy? Are we walking worthy? Notice what he said here. He said, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you. I beseech you. Now, let me ask you this morning, when's the last time somebody beseeched you? It's not a word we use every day. Matter of fact, if, if you came to me and you said, I'm about to beseech you, I'm not sure what you're fixing to do. I'm gonna get on the defensive. If you're gonna beseech me, I'm gonna besiege you. <laughs> Sometimes I, I use big words. Sound smart and sound real photosynthesis and stuff like that. 
<laughs> but notice here this morning, Paul says, I beseech you. Paul isn't saying, hey, y'all need to get this figured out. What Paul is in essence is saying, he said, hey, come here real quick. Let me put my arm around you. Let me talk to you for a second. Let me tell you some of the greatest things I've ever learned. In essence, he was, he was trying to pull the church of Ephesus into him to have a, 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 a close uh, conversation with them. Are you walking worthy? Are you walking worthy? It reminds me of in a baseball game when the pitcher is throwing everything but strikes. What does that catcher do? He don't run out to the middle of the field and tell everybody, hey, somebody in here tell the pitcher to get it under control. No, he walks out of that thing and puts his glove over his face. He said, hey, get it under control. You're better than this. You can do better. There's greater things to be done. Hey, you got to get it figured out. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And this is Paul was saying, hey, come, come talk to me for a second. God, I need to see, I, I, I want to get close to you so me and you can discuss this thing about walking worthy for God. He said, I beseech you. Say, well, what is Paul beseeching us to do? To walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. That word walk means to progress. It means to grow. It means to conduct one's life. Then you look at the next word, walk what? Worthy. That word worthy means suitable, appropriate. It gives us the understanding of how they exchanged currency for goods back in those days. Nowadays, you just stick your card in, put your pin number in, and then magically it's yours. Right? And then they magically take money out of your bank account. Bible days, that's not what they did. If you were to go to the market and you wanted to buy something, they would pull those scales out and they would put it out there. And on this scale, they would put what you wanted and what you desired. And on this scale, they would take their weights and they would weigh it out until it balanced. And they would put a weight and a little weight until it was evenly balanced. Those weights were marked and told you how much you owed. And so we had to ask ourselves this morning, God, who's done a great work in our life, who has changed us in a mighty way, who's given us eternal life, he's placing that on one side of the scale. And let me ask you this morning, that which we are putting on the other side of the scale, is it worthy? Is it worthy? Well, preacher, what is worthy? Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice. All of you needs to be on the scale. You say, oh, preacher, that's a great sacrifice. That's, that's a lot, preacher. That's, that's more than I can give. Can I say this more? And the Bible says that's our reasonable service is to give God our everything. And we see here this morning, Paul is beseeching us to walk worthy and what? Our calling. Well, it says it this way in Ephesians, our vocation. Let me ask you this morning, what's your vocation? What's your vocation this morning? Oftentimes we hear that word and our mind goes to our job. That which we do to provide an income for our family. What is your vocation? I'm this preacher. I work here. This is, what, this is my vocation. Oftentimes when it's referred to a pastor who not only has to pastor the church but is also working a secular job to help make ends meet, they'll call them bivocational. Can I say this morning, there's no such thing as a bivocational Christian. You are not <laughs> known 
You should not be defined by your occupation. You should be defined by who you are. When I worked in the cabinet shop, I was not a cabinet maker and a Christian. I was a Christian who worked in a cabinet shop. I'm a Christian who God is allowing to pastor a church. You are a Christian who works at your place of employment. Our first and greatest calling is that who we are, and it is to be a Christian. This morning, what's the preacher? God ain't called me to be a preacher. God ain't called me to sing in the choir. God ain't called me to do that and the other. Can I say this morning, that word vocation not only carries an understanding of a calling, but it also carries an understanding of an invitation. Can I say this morning, all of us have been invited by Christ to follow him, to walk after him. So let me ask you this morning, are you walking worthy? Am I progressing in an appropriate manner in the things that I've been called and invited by God to do? What kind of things, preacher? Things like personal holiness. 1 Peter 1.15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. That word conversation is your life, your, the way you live, the actions and that what you do. Let me ask you this morning, are me and you progressing? Are we walking worthy in the invitation to live holy for the glory of God? Are we progressing in personal evangelism? Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 9.6, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Do we approach personal evangelism with the same desire and the same heart that Paul did? Woe unto me if I don't share the gospel. Woe unto me if I don't share the gospel. Woe unto me if I don't tell them about you. Woe unto me if I don't preach and tell them that there is a better way. I've been called, we've been called and invited to personal holiness, personal evangelism, our personal walk with Christ. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am meek and lowly heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. Do we have a daily walk that the Lord would step and say, he's giving, she's giving everything they have. Are we walking worthy this morning? We said, well, preacher, what in the world does that even look like? What does that look like, preacher? I'm so glad you asked this morning because it's going to make my message make a whole lot of sense. Because Paul tells us in these few verses this morning what a worthy walk will consist of. And before we get any further this morning, let me tell you what a worthy walk does not have to have in order to be worthy. Great success. Great recognition. Great promotion. Great knowledge, great ability. Matter of fact, our walk that is worthy looks nothing like what the world expects it to look like. Matter of fact, it goes in direct opposition of the world this morning. And, here, and it, it has to be that way because if we're going to follow Christ, then we'll have to go the way of Christ, not the way of the world. They're going in opposite directions this morning. I believe every Christian can walk worthy of their calling. Walk worthy of the vocation by making sure that the following elements are evident in our walk this morning. Notice number one, there's the humbleness of the walk or the humility of the walk this morning. Look at verse number two. Here's what a worthy walk looks like. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering. Now, two out, of those, two out of those three words we're okay with. 
That last word we don't want anything to do with this morning, but we're going to deal with it because it needs to be evident in our life if we're going to have a walk that is worthy. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like the hardest thing to do in life isn't algebra, isn't pay my taxes, it isn't figure out uh, what to cook for dinner or where to go for dinner. Sometimes the hardest thing I do, and sometimes I feel like the hardest thing I, I, I try to achieve is to simply be a Christian. <laughs> why is that so difficult? You ever wonder, why is that so difficult to be a Christian? Why is it so difficult to, 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 to do the things that God has commanded us and instructed us and taught us? How, why is it so hard to do that? Because it goes against everything we naturally do. It goes against everything who we naturally are, what we naturally know, what we've naturally been taught. Nothing about the Christian life comes naturally. Ephesians chapter 4, we're at this morning, we go down to verse number 17. Paul talks about a walk that we used to have and how we used to walk, what we used to do. Look what it says. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk and have in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who be past feeling have given themselves unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and with greediness. You have not so learned Christ. Isn't it amazing how everything we used to do just came natural? Like, we knew that if we were going to get in trouble, we could probably try to lie our way out of it. We knew if nobody was going to see us, then we could probably take it and nobody would know. All that stuff just come natural to us. Then God saves us and asks us to walk worthy and live a life that we can't do by ourselves. Why? He wants us to rely on him this morning. But as a Christian, we live not in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, but we live in Ephesians 4, 23 through 25, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness, in true holiness, wherefore putting away, lying, speak every man truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He tells us to put all that natural stuff away. We don't need that no more. <laughs> you don't need all that stuff you spend a lifetime perfecting and doing and, and doing naturally without any kind of effort, without any kind of exercise. It just came natural. Now God says, yeah, put all that away. You don't need that no more. We don't, we don't do it that way no more. We do it my way. Notice the phrase here in verse number two, with all. With all, it means at all times, in all circumstances, in every situation, towards every person, in every predicament, in every problem, during every trial, through every letdown, these need to be evident in our walk. Sometimes the toughest word for me to grasp in our Bible is all, every time, at all times. Well, if I don't want all, but choose most of the time, is that okay, preacher? Here's what you really mean. I will be holy, I will be meek, and I'll be long-suffering as long as it benefits me. As long as it helps me get what I want. Here's the problem. When me and you pick a sometimes, 
instead of all the time, we'll find ourselves in verse 27 of chapter number four. Neither give place to the devil. When you and I exchange all for sometimes, we are literally giving Satan somewhere a place to work in our life. Here's the thing. You don't have to go out in the world, find drugs, find pornography, find adultery, find fornication, find alcohol. You don't have to go out in the world to find all those things to give place to Satan. You just got to step back and say, all right, I'm not going to do it all the time. I'm just going to do it some of the time. You'll find yourselves giving place for Satan's work in your life. A walk that is worthy is one that is consistently, constantly, with all, humble. It is one that is filled with lowliness, meekness, and long-suffering. Well, if it's going to be in my life, and that's how I'm to walk, preacher, what do those things mean? We think of lowliness. We often think of Eeyore. Right, he was a lowly character, wasn't he? It was sun shining out, but it was raining over him. Winnie the Pooh got honey, Eeyore got nothing. He just never, never had a good thing to say, never had a good attitude, never was encouraging, never was excited, never was happy, never was content, never was any of those things. We'll say, look at Eeyore, he's lowly. Look how humble he's being. Can I say this morning, lowliness does not mean discouraged. Lowliness does not mean, uh, what's Looking for her depressed this morning, downtrodden. Matter of fact, here's the thing. Pessimism isn't lowliness. It's pessimism. Real lowliness produces joy and gratefulness. Why? What is lowliness? It is a deep sense and understanding of one's littleness. How little and small we really are compared to God. See, so many times, where does pride come from when we think we're big? We think we're bad. We think that nobody can take up. But the truth of the matter is, me and you, compared to God, are very, very, very small. And when me and you grasp that and understand the truth of that, it doesn't make us discouraged. It doesn't make us depressed. Matter of fact, it encourages us. Someone as small as I am and as little as I am, as insignificant as I am this morning, God wants me to walk with him. God wants me to live for him. God wants to use me in spite of how small I really am. Our walk's gonna have lowliness. Let me ask you this one. How big do you think you really are? How much can you handle by yourself? How bad to the bone do you really think you are? When's the last time you spoke the world's into existence? When's the last time you looked at the Red Sea and said, excuse me, coming through? When's the last time you died and got up by yourself. Me and you this morning are very small. But God is very, very big this morning. He's very great this morning. And yet in my smallness, the Lord wants to use us. We see the lowliness. A lowliness in our walk, we'll have to have meekness. The phrase of the world is if you're weak, or excuse me, if you're meek, you're weak. If you're meek, you're weak. Everybody is going to run all over you. I remember working with a man, and uh, we were talking one day, and just, he was, he was giving me advice. He said, Tate, you, you gotta learn how to talk to people. You gotta learn how to put them in their place. 
You got to learn how to, how to show them you mean business. I said, okay. We were in a cabinet shop of a Fortune 500 company here. But he was, he was telling me, you got to, he said, he, he said let, me, let me tell you what I did the other day. I said, all right, tell me. He said, they came to where, he, we worked in opposite parts of the shop. He said, they came to my area and told me what to do and how to do it. And he said, I let them have it. I cussed them up one side, down the other, told them who this shop it was and who I was and how I was going to do it my way and this, that, and the other. He said, and I just let them have it. And you know what they did? What I wanted them to do. I said, that only works until they lose respect for you. It only works until they no longer fear you. I don't know if it was my upbringing, raised in the military home, did ROTC for four years under a Marine who was a head drill instructor at Paris Island. My dad was asked to be a sergeant, turned it down, but he practiced on us at the house. But people who get hot and get mad and get all up in my face, it don't phase me. You're just going to yell and you're going to waste breath. I'm going to wait for you to calm down before we talk. But here, Paul was saying, listen, if we're going to walk worthy of God, we have to be meek. We have to be lowly and understand who we are and how small we really are. But you see, you also got to be meek. You can't just talk to anybody any way you want to and expect us to walk and live in a way that is Christ's example. Think about Christ. Matter of fact, Matthew chapter 27 He's being accused by the, the religious people. He's being accused by the government, the chief priests and the elders. The Bible said he answered nothing. He didn't, he didn't fight fire with fire. They're accusing him of being blasphemous. They're accusing him of being, uh, you know, a tie to Satan and the devil. They're accusing him of all bunch of things. And the Bible says that he doesn't say anything and Pilate don't know what to do with that. So then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not many things they witness against thee? And I was said, he answered him, never a word. Insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Pilate had never seen that. Accusing him of things and saying things to him and, and yelling at him and screaming at him, the very son of God. And Jesus just stands there with his mouth shut doesn't holler back, doesn't defend himself. He was giving me and you an example that no matter the situation, no matter the predicament, no matter the circumstances, we are called and instructed to be meek. We often think that if we're going to win the argument, it isn't necessarily who has all the right facts, it's just who says it louder. Who says it with more zeal? Who says it with more uh, 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 you know, volume in their voice? Thing. Jesus could have easily said, no, I didn't do none of that. He could have easily just made him die. But he didn't do that. He was showing us there's a greater purpose, there's a greater thing, and there's a greater plan. And in the midst of that, me and you need to be meek. Let me ask you this. Did they run over Christ? Or did the Lord use them to accomplish his will? Why did he come? To die for our sins. And then in the midst of that, he shows his meekness by never saying a word. Are we walking meek this morning? Are we walking at the understanding of our lowliness? We're going to walk a worthy walk. It's going to be a humble walk. It's going to have the, the, the characteristic of lowliness and meekness. And boy, I wish I could skip over long suffering, but I can't this morning. Because I want a worthy walk. Preacher, 
long-suffering. Doesn't that mean patience and give the understanding of patience? It does. Preacher, patience is a bad word. It's a bad word, preacher. You know you're not supposed to pray for patience. Don't you know that? Didn't you hear the preacher tell you that before? I have. And it gets under my skin every time I hear it. Can I say this morning, I don't care how many years it's been ingrained in you. I don't care who said it to you. I don't care how often they said it to you. You and I better pray for patience if we're going to have a worthy walk. If we're going to have a worthy walk, it's not an if we need patience. It's when we need patience. We are going to need patience in our life and displayed in our life if we're going to have a walk that is worthy. So take that, ball it up, throw it in the trash can and say, you know what? I'm going to start praying for patience. So I guarantee you, you want to make a difference in this world. You want the world to see something that is different. They need to see patience. But here's the thing. How many problems in our life, think about it, how many problems in our, in our life only got worse simply because we weren't patient? We didn't wait on God. We didn't, we didn't uh, uh, stop and say, all right, Lord, let me see the salvation of the Lord. We said, Lord, look what I can do, and I hope you bless it. And it just made everything worse. Now, waiting and long-suffering aren't the same thing. Waiting is waiting. You're just simply waiting from getting one place to another. Here's, sometimes if you wait and you do so quietly... Sometimes there are blessings to it. I remember one time I was down at Zaxby's in Waynesboro. We went in there to get something to eat. And I can't remember what all we ordered, but something had to be cooked fresh. And can I stop and say, that is okay with me. <laughs> I don't mind waiting for fresh food. As long as it's cooked. I don't want it too fresh. <laughs> we ordered, and the lady said, we got to cook that fresh. It's going to be a few minutes. I said, that's no problem. It's no problem. We went and sat down at the table, got our drinks, sat down at the table. I said, well, I'm going to go stand up there and wait. And so I just stood at the I didn't stand at the counter, but I stood back there, and I just stood in my natural position, just my arms closed, just waiting, waiting for my food. They're making it fresh, no problem. I mean, I wasn't like, <laughs> I was just standing there like I normally stand. The lady called me to the counter. She said, sir, I'm so sorry for your wait. I'm so sorry for your wait. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a free meal next time you come. I was like, Okay. <laughs> I wasn't upset. Y'all said it. I was about to wait for it. I don't mind waiting. But if you're going to give me free food, I ain't going to turn it down. But waiting and long suffering are two different things. I love the, the, the children's church definition of long suffering. Suffering long. Suffering long. Here's the thing. Going through trials and tribulations. Preacher, I want to make a difference in my family, I want, I want my friends to see a difference in me. I want my coworkers to see a difference in me. I want the world to see a difference in me. Then they're going to have to watch you go through a trial with long suffering. They're going to watch you pray and wait. They're going to watch you wait on the Lord and suffer through some things. Things that are uncomfortable. Things that have to be endured and not enjoyed. Oh, preacher, I don't want that. And you won't have a walk that's worthy. Here's a funny thought. <laughs> We've been told for how long not to pray for patience, not to pray for long-suffering. But how many of us in here this morning want God to be long-suffering with us? 
I do. I want that this morning. And God desires it out of our life for us to be willing to suffer long for him. Let me ask you this morning, when it comes to having a walk that is worthy, is your walk one that is marked with humility? Do you operate as one who knows how insignificant you really are, but also rejoices because in spite of that insignificance, God cares for you? Do you want one who is meek, who responds with the love of Christ, who responds with the, responds with the mind of Christ, who knows that the word of God says a soft answer turneth away wrath, one who doesn't escalate the fire, but rather just calms down and steps back and says everything until everything calms down so my flesh doesn't flare up. I'm going to operate with meekness. Are we willing to be long-suffering this morning? We see, number one, the humbleness of the walk. We're going to have a walk that is worthy. It's going to be marked by humility and humbleness. Notice number two, we see the heart of their walk. Look at verse number two right there at the end of it. Forbearing one another in love. I kind of wish it was written a little bit differently. I wish it just said forbearing one another even though I don't want to. (laughs) Forbearing one another and please allow me to complain. It says forbearing one another in love. Growing up, I grew up watching cartoons. I guess I was a normal kid back then. But Saturday mornings, that's where it was at. Bowl of off-brand Captain Crunch. On the couch. <laughs> My pajamas still on. Watching cartoons. Batman, Justice League, Scooby-Doo. There's one in there called Captain Planet. Now looking back at it, I can obviously see... <laughs> I mean, I think Ted Turner is the one that made it. Tells you. <laughs> it's definitely a political cartoon. Save the planet. Big business is terrible. You know, capitalism is the death of you. But when I was eight years old, I didn't care about none of that. I just liked Captain Planet. But their, their job was to save the planet. And there was, I think, I got them wrote down here this morning. There was, well, how many of them? There was five of them. Each one represented an element. You had earth, wind, fire, water. For their five teenagers, they all had this ring that all came together and they would call out their elements and then Captain Planet would show up. But they'd all come, earth, wind, fire, water, and that little guy would come at the end, hard! And then Captain Planet would arrive and save the day. Here's what Captain Planet taught me, and I hope it teaches you this morning. If you're going to do anything right, you've got to have the right heart. If you're going to do anything this morning, you've got to do it with real love. What the Bible calls charity. The Bible calls sacrificial love, agape love. We're told in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, that charity, Christ-like love, has to be not just in it, but the foundation of it. And not just the foundation of it, but carried throughout of it. And not just carried throughout of it, but the end result of it as well this morning. It's got to be all the way through it. Paul writes to the church of Corinthians, he said, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Nobody wants to hear that. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing 
And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, profit me nothing. Paul said you cannot live the Christian life. You cannot walk worthy this morning without charity. Nor can we walk worthy of our vocation without Christ-like love. Now notice this morning the attitude of love is attached to the action of forbearing. So it's not just me and you putting up with one another. It's not just me and you dealing with each other because we have no other option. But rather it is forbearing, which means to hold up, to sustain one another, so we're to help one another and encourage one another with love. With love. He says, uh, the forbearing one another in love. So we're to help one another, encourage one another, so that it'll be done to us in return. It's not what it reads. Forbear one another in the hopes of being rewarded. It's not what it says. It says in love. Christ-like love. Imagine Christ died for every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. And yet not everybody responds to his extension of love this morning. But I'm glad he still loves us anyways. Love, a God, the Christ-like love, sacrificial love, love that resembles the love that Christ has for us. Romans 4, 19, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Can I say this morning, if all we do this morning to each other is point out each other's flaws, we are not forbearing one another in love. If all we do is have a life filled with complaints and grudges and grievances, we are not forbearing one another with love. Preacher, how many of my actions, how many of my interactions with other people, how much of my life and that which I do, how much of that has to be done in charity? How much of that has to be done in love? Well, I'm glad you asked. First Corinthians 16, 14, let all things, let all your things be done with charity. There's that word all again. I'll preach, I'm going to do it sometimes. I'm going to do it when I feel like it. I'm going to do it when everything's wonderful and everything's a-okay. Then you will not walk a walk that is worthy of God this morning. All your things must be done with charity. Let me ask you this morning. When you was getting ready for church this morning, everything you said to your spouse, was it in charity? I can't read my notes now without my glasses on. The way you talk to your kids, was it done in charity? The way you thought about your parents, young people, oh, you didn't say. <laughs> you know better than that. You didn't say it out loud, but in your heart, you were saying, boy, if I could just get out of here, if I could just get away from them, all they, all they ever do is ask me to do things. Let me ask you, what you thought about your parents, young people, was it done in charity? The way you talked about your boss while they weren't around, was it done in charity? Was it done with Christ-like love? Did you walk in such a way that the love of Christ is evident in your life? You don't have to go hunting for it because it's evident. We, everything we do ought to be done in and through and by and for the love of Christ this morning. He said all things are done in charity. All things done in charity. And here's the problem. We've allowed Hollywood to find love for us and half, half the Christians have no idea what real love is. They think it's feel good. They think it's flowers. 
sports and, and teddy bears and, and sensual and, and a good time. Just It's a feeling. It comes and it goes. No, real love this morning is eternal. Real love this morning is true. Real love this morning is what Christ demonstrated to us on the cross of Calvary. And it ought to, it ought to permeate through every action of our life this morning and until we get to the place where we say, Lord, in everything I do, in all that I do, Lord, I want it to permeate and display the love of Christ until me and you get to that point and that's our desire and that's our application and that's our practice. We can't honestly say to ourselves, I'm walking worthy of what God has called me to do. We see the heart of their walk. Let me ask you, do you walk daily in the love of Christ? Do others see that love in you? The humbleness of their walk, the heart of their walk. Then notice number three this morning, the hope of their walk. Verse number three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You ever thought about the irony of hiking this morning? The irony of hiking. <laughs> because if I came to your house and I said, hey, I want you to put some... some so uncomfortable boots on with some uncomfortable socks. So grab you a, a fanny pack, a backpack, a water bottle. My mom was down here and she's going to listen to this. My mom was down here and she said, I'm looking for a fanny pack. So what is it, 1993? I said, man, I was growing up. Well, you had about 12 of them, mom. What'd you do with them? You put them right next to your glamour shots. My mom would have people come over for her pampered chef parties and Mary Kay parties and Avon parties and all that stuff that she sold when I was growing up. And I, the first thing I'd do is say, y'all ever seen this picture of my mom? <laughs> Put that away! <laughs> but hiking, the irony of it. I came to your house and said, hey, get all that ready. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk around in a big circle and we're going to finish where we started. You'd say, that don't make no sense to me. But if I say, hey, you want to go hiking? Oh, yes, that's a great time. It's wonderful. We're going to go explore nature. We're going to see squirrels and, and birds and, and snakes and all that wonderful stuff. We're going to see trees and plants. It's going to be a wonderful time. But you literally just walk in a circle and you finish where you started. It's an irony of hiking this morning. And unfortunately, there's many Christians that are walking but never accomplishing anything. They're living life. They are like Israel in the wilderness. Oh, they were walking. And they experienced the power of God. They watched water come from a rock. They looked at the brazen serpent and they lived. They experienced the presence of God, the tabernacle, the day of atonement. God's glory would fill that place. And there was a pillar of smoke and, a, uh, and, and all the fire and, and, and the cloud by day. They, they had seen the power of God. They'd seen the presence of God. They even had the promises of God while they were walking. We got the law, the Ten Commandments. Were given to them while they wandered in the wilderness. But they never made it to the promised land. They walked, but never accomplished the thing that God had promised to them. Same can be said about Christians now. Oh, you've experienced the power of God. You're saved by the grace of God. You remember when God brought you from death and to life, from dark to light. You remember when God changed. You've experienced the power of God. You've experienced the presence of God corporately in church and privately driving down the road. God has become real to you. You've experienced the promise of God. You have his word. You start your day with it. You read along as the preacher reads. You go to Sunday school. You study it. You have all of that this morning. And then we just march around and around and around and around and finish where we started. Never experiencing all that the Lord has for us. Let me ask you this, well, what is the hope of our walk? What is the desire of our walk? What should we desire and what should we want to experience as we walk for the Lord? Look at verse number three. 
endeavoring. Endeavoring means to diligently give oneself to, to labor towards. In essence, you put in the effort. You roll up your sleeves, so to speak. It isn't just a fly-by-night decision. It isn't just, I'm going to do it one day. I'm going to do whatever it takes is the mentality behind endeavoring. What are we endeavoring for or to to keep the unity of the Spirit? Oh, yeah, preacher, that's good. If we want unity in the church. I want unity in the church, no doubt, this morning. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul isn't talking about the corporate body of believers. He's talking about a personal walk with Christ. And our, our desire is to be unified with the Holy Spirit. In essence, we are walking step in step with the Lord. That ought to be the hope of our walk this morning is that we constantly, consistently, every day, day in, day out, for the rest of our days, get up and say, all right, Lord, you're in charge. You lead and I'll follow. I'm gonna live the Spirit-filled life. I'm gonna endeavor that I might walk daily with the Lord. Notice what he says. He's endeavoring to keep the unit of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word peace means tranquility. The safety of peace, that word bond is something that is tied together, which is bound together. And here's the thing, if me and you endeavor to walk with the Holy Spirit, to let the Holy Spirit guide us and direct us, we will live a life that is tied to peace. A life that is tied to the comforting hand of God and the love of God and, and will walk daily and before you know it will be bound to the Lord, so to speak. We don't strive to walk worthy for recognition or promotion. No, to walk worthy is that we might enjoy the benefit of peace that comes from close fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The attitude which we must approach is the desires to endeavor. Let me ask you, did you get up this morning? So, Lord, I'm not just going to go to church. Lord, I'm not just going to sing the congregationals. I'm not just going to amen the choir. I'm not just going to shake my head at the preacher when he looks at me. But, Lord, I've come to find you. I've come to seek you. I've come to hear from you. I've come to listen to you because it's Sunday and I want to walk with you. Because I know when I'm in the, the shadow of the, the, the master's wing, so to speak, when I'm in step with the Lord, when walking with him when he is all around me and beside me, in front of me, behind me, around, on sides of me. When I am in his presence, Lord, when I am where you want me to be, there is peace that passes understanding. And I don't want anything else, Lord, than that. Than that. Here's the thing. You can't have spotty desire for this. You have to be spot on every time. You have to endeavor to do it. Why? It's your reasonable service. It's what God desires out of me and you to have a walk that is worthy of the vocation for which he's called us. Preacher, I want a walk that pleases the Lord, then walk with him. Every day, and start your day with him. Throughout the day, pray to him, talk to him. Have that personal relationship with him this morning. Open up his word, and you read and let him speak to your heart. Preacher, that's a lot. That's our reasonable service this morning. I haven't gone into to any extras of the Christian life this morning. I haven't gone into any extracurricular activities like, you know, this is good for most Christians, but boy, if you really serve them, then you gotta come over here and do this. No. If I were to surrender my life to go to China because that's where God wants me to go, that's my reasonable service. I remember that missionary that came and she made that statement. She said, I'm not doing anything spectacular. I'm not doing anything more than 
any else, anybody else could do for God and what God wants to do. She said, I'm just doing what God has asked me to do. And when we daily strive and to, to, to walk with him and to follow after him, we are unified with the Spirit. We are walking in the direction of God. There's a peace that comes with that. What a great reward that is this morning. When I was in the cabinet shop, I had just become permanent. I hadn't been there very long. The boss called me into his office, me and another man. And uh, the guy that went before me, I thought they were fixing to fire him. They said, uh, hey, uh, talking to the other man, they said, yeah, listen, we know you've missed a f- quite a few days. You've been late a, a, a good bit, but you got a lot going on. So we're going to give you a raise. I was like, for real? So he got a raise for not coming to work on time and for hardly ever being there. And he was, but he wasn't going through a lot. So I said, hey, to each their own, I'm not the boss. <laughs> so he calls me into his office. He said, all right, take. Uh, we're going to give you a raise too. I was like, all right, good deal. He said, because you come to work on time and you're here every day and you're here when you need you and you stay the whole day and you, you give us, a, you give us <laughs> you know, an honest day's worth of work and so we're going to give you a raise. Here's the funny thing. I got upset for a little bit because me and the other man got the same exact amount. We got the same exact amount of the raise and I thought to myself, how come he got a raise? He ain't already, he ain't already here half the time. But here's the thing. When I signed my name on the line, I told them I was going to do those things, whether they gave me another dollar or not. See, the matter is, I would have been grateful for the fact that I got a raise because I was only doing what they'd asked me to do, what they had told me to do. Sometimes in our Christian life, we look at what everybody else has what material blessings they have, what, what growth they have within their ministry, how, how well put together their family may be and how, how different their home structure might be than mine. And all right, we look at them and they have all this and we sit back and say, well, what have you given me? Well, I've been getting everything I have and I've been doing everything I, I, I know to do right. And I, I, I've been, literally, Lord, I've given you my life. And that's just my reasonable service. And the fact that I can go to bed at night and have the peace of God and knowing that I have walked the best of my ability and best of my know-how to let the Lord lead me and guide me, that ought to be enough. That ought to be enough to know that I'm in step with the Lord and I have his peace that passes understanding this morning. Our hope for our walk ought to be nothing more than that, is that, that God is walking with us and his presence is real. When it comes to walking with the Lord, do you hope to accomplish promotion and recognition or unity and peace? Good enough for you this morning. Are we walking a walk that is worthy? Do we have a humble walk? What's the heart of our walk? And what's the hope of our walk this morning? Let's all stand this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed.